But it, this has been uh, phenomenal uh, work by uh, Cheryl Meyer and Doug Meyer uh, building this. And so I'm just extremely grateful for it. And then, uh, you know, it just really adds to me the, the weight of, of what I'm doing here in, uh, as we go to God's word together. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, I ask that you would open up eyes to see the truth that that you would have each one of us to see today. I pray that you would use your word to be a a spotlight on, on Jesus, that we would see him with eyes of faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 19 through 29. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And you can follow along with us on page 906. Page 906. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, And said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an incredible claim 
about an incredible event. Nothing like the resurrection of Jesus has ever happened at any time in human history. At no time in human history has somebody died and risen again, never to die again. And that event will not be repeated again uh, in human history until the Bible says Jesus comes again. A one-time event in the history of the world is the foundation for the Christian faith. So it is not surprising that there would be people that would say, hmm, I doubt it. That might describe some of you who are here this morning. There might be some of you here this morning who have come as a guest of a family member or a friend, and when you hear about the resurrection of Jesus, you're skeptical. You know what? I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here today. And, and one of the things that I would hope happens from today is that, if nothing else, this would just prompt you to actually dig deeper, to actually examine your, your own questions. But, you know, there, there's another kind of doubt. There, there's a doubt that, that some of you may share here today, and it's the kind of doubt that it's kind of like the doubt of playing the lottery. You know, the, the person who, who every week buys their lottery ticket, not really expecting much, but hey, you can't win if you never play. And there's many of you that, are, that many people, some here today, that may have that kind of uh, attitude about the resurrection of Jesus. You don't think that it really matters but, hmm, you never know. It doesn't hurt to just go ahead and say, yeah, believe it, because something good might come of it someday. If that's you and you're here today and that's the kind of doubt that, that you have, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And, and I hope that, that the time that we have uh, this morning would, would cause you to consider that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually matters. But there, there's a third kind of doubt. And it's the kind of doubt that everybody here, including myself, is susceptible to. That this is a very subtle kind of doubt. Because there are, are many of you here today, and I'm sure most of you who are here today, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and that you are confident that one day when you die, you will be in heaven because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know it up here. We know it in our heads. But there's a heart belief that sometimes is lagging. It looks like this. You know Jesus rose from the dead, you know Jesus is your Savior, but day to day, you're looking for something else to save you. That you're looking for acceptance, or you're looking for success, or if I just had fill in the blank, then I would have enough. What I want you to consider this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what ultimately dispels that doubt. 
So I want us to look at the encounter of one of Jesus' good friends, Thomas. I want us to look at, at Thomas's encounter with Jesus today, and, and I want us to consider, first of all, Thomas's doubt. What Thomas's doubt reveals. And then Thomas's confession, what it declares. And finally, Jesus's blessing, what it promises. So look with me at Thomas's doubt, what it reveals. You know, that, that first Easter Sunday was a flurry of activity. People going here and there, everywhere, and, and they weren't looking for Easter eggs. It started out in the morning as these women go to the tomb, and, and they are not expecting to see it empty. They're not expecting to see Jesus alive. As a matter of fact, the reason they're going to the tomb is they're going to grieve. They're going to anoint Jesus' body with perfume to, to continue the burial process. And then their world is turned completely upside down as angels appear to them and say, Jesus is not here, he has risen. And then Jesus begins appearing to different people. Until the end of that first Easter Sunday, Jesus' disciples are all gathered in a room together, and, and they don't know exactly what's going on, but the religious leaders could be coming at any time, so they have the doors locked, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears, passes through the walls, showing his, his superiority as, as their risen Savior, and he says to them, peace be with you. And there's this glad reunion between the disciples and Jesus. But there was one disciple that missed out on it. It was Thomas. The Bible doesn't tell us why Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why he hadn't gathered with the rest of, of the disciples, but, but he misses getting to see Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. And so the, the other 10, they, they find Thomas and they tell him, we have seen the Lord. Now, if, if 10 of your good friends who you have lived life with for at least the past three years, doing everything together, have told you, we have seen Jesus alive, don't you think maybe there would be some kind of, hmm, well, I didn't see him, but my good friends have seen him. Maybe there's something to this. They've just told me how they've actually seen the, the scars from the nails in Jesus' hands. They, they've, they've seen the mark in his side where the soldier thrust the spear into his side. But not Thomas. Thomas is not going to be convinced by the eyewitness testimony. He says, unless I experience it for myself... Unless I see those nails, the, the, where the nails were in his hands, unless I see in his side, I will never believe. He's emphatic. He says this in the most emphatic way possible. I am not going to believe ever. As strong as Thomas's doubt is here, Thomas's doubt actually reveals something that's very important for us today. See, Thomas is, is not going to be content with just getting some kind of glimpse of Jesus from afar. When, when Thomas says, I want to see, he's using the word, uh, a word for see that, that carries a, a weight of examination. 
of intellectual activity. I really have to examine this for myself. You see, I saw Jesus die, but what really, really matters is, is Jesus really, really alive? There's some people today that, that say that all this talk about Jesus being alive, it doesn't really matter if it happens bodily. There was a, a writer for the Huffington Post, Christian Chiaculus, who said, I submit that it is not only possible, but reasonable, and quite possibly even correct, to find meaning in Easter without believing that a man literally rose from the dead. I have no problem saying Christ is risen when I celebrate Easter, but that is because I understand and hold in reverence the power of metaphor and parable. See, what he's saying here is it's, it's the message of Jesus. It's the transformational power of the thought of, of Christ that matters. That didn't work for Thomas. It wasn't going to work for Thomas that he had good memories of Jesus. It wasn't going to work for Thomas that he knew the message of the kingdom of God. He said, what matters is, is Jesus alive? And so Thomas's doubt reveals to us how important the bodily resurrection of Jesus actually is. The first generation of Christians and all of the New Testament writers staked the truth of Christianity on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead physically. There had been many messianic pretenders in the first century. There, there were a lot of men that rose up and said, I am Israel's Messiah, follow me. And the Romans did to them the very same thing they did to Jesus. They executed them. And following the, the wake of their execution, their followers would try to keep the movement going and these movements would all fizzle. But the one thing that these followers never did is they never said, hey, our guy is alive. That was what made Christianity different is that the followers of an executed Messiah said he actually beat death and came alive again. And so if you're here this morning and you're one of these people that is skeptical of a miracle of, of resurrection, I would challenge you that based upon Thomas's doubt, you should actually examine your own doubts. That, that this is a historical claim that has been held by, by Christians for, for, for 2,000 years. And there's good evidence to consider. And, and I would encourage you to, to launch on a search to see why is it that this historical claim has over and over again been held on to in the face of, uh, of persecution uh, when, when it wasn't advantageous to do so. This is a claim that, that's worthy of your attention because Thomas's doubt reveals that the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright had this observation when he said, if Easter means that Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension to my own personal fulfillment. But he goes on to say that if, if Easter is about the fact that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, 
then that's not just good news for me and my personal heart. It's good news for the world because it shows that God is not going to let pain and death and injustice and evil triumph, that he's actually going to do something about it. And that's good news for the whole world. So in Thomas's doubt, we see the importance of the resurrection. It's in Thomas's confession that we see a declaration of what the resurrection means. So I want to look at Thomas's confession, what it declares. So a week goes by and the, 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 surely in this week there, there's been conversations between the disciples and Thomas and, and they, the disciples are saying we've seen the Lord and Thomas is saying I doubt it and then a week later they're all together. And, and there's no indication that, that they're expecting anything different on this night. The doors are locked again. They're, they're gathered together in the room. Everything appears the way it was the previous week. But then... It says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You realize that the good news that Jesus comes to bring here, that, that Jesus comes to bring good news that he rose for doubters. That's the gospel. Jesus rose for doubters. He comes here to make it a special appearance for Thomas. He didn't need to appear to the other disciples. They'd seen him. He came for Thomas. And he says, peace be with you. There's not a rebuke for Thomas for, for his doubting. There's not a rebuke for the other disciples for failing to convince Thomas of the truth. He simply comes to reveal himself. And he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. This is the whole reason he's come. Is, is so that he could show himself to Thomas. You know, Jesus had actually made private appearances to other, uh, others of his followers. He made a private appearance to, to Peter that we don't read about here. We, he made a private appearance uh, to a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. But there's no record that he made a private appearance to Thomas. This, this is it. We don't know why he chose to do it publicly, except maybe because Thomas's doubt had been so public, Jesus wanted Thomas's faith to be public as well. And so Jesus shows himself to Thomas. And, and when Jesus shows himself to Thomas, this is where the weight of who Jesus is finally hits him. Because what does, he, what does Jesus say? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and put it in my side. How did Jesus know? How did Jesus know that was the proof that Thomas was demanding? Unless... Jesus had seen Thomas long before Thomas had seen Jesus. And Thomas realizes in this moment, whoa. How did he know? 
How did he know? He must. He must be more than a teacher. He must be more than a miracle worker. He must be more than just some exemplary figure. And so, he says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You see, once Jesus showed up, the time for examination was over. When Jesus is present, it's not time to examine. It's time to worship. And that's what Thomas did. That Thomas makes this simple declaration of what it means to really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. See, Thomas is saying, this is what it means. It's, It's not about just saying, I accept the facts. First of all, it's seeing Jesus as Lord. You know, in the first century, if you would have gone out and and just walked along the streets anywhere in the Roman Empire, and you would have just said to somebody, who is Lord? The person would have most likely said to you, Caesar is Lord. Because Caesar was the emperor of the Roman Empire, there was nobody greater in the known world than Caesar. What Caesar said goes. If Caesar said live, you lived. If Caesar said die, you die. To be Lord is to be the one who is supreme. And here Thomas is saying, Jesus, you are Lord. There's still many lords today. There are still many lords that, that grapple for our allegiance and our affection. There are many lords in this world that, that, that want you to bow the knee to them. It's the lords of acceptance. It's the lords of of comfort. It's the lords of prosperity, the lords of success. All of these lords are very demanding lords. Unless they have all of you, they're never going to have enough. But none of these lords will die for you. None of these lords will rise again from the dead for you. Jesus is the Lord who died for you and rose again. To believe that Jesus rose from the dead is to say, Jesus, I I surrender to your authority in my life. I will follow your voice. I will obey your commands. You have my heart. Can you say that? Can you say, Jesus, you are my Lord? And then Thomas says, my God. Do you realize how revolutionary that was for Thomas to say that? He had been raised from the time he could walk as a good Jewish little boy, saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He knew the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And yet he recognizes standing before him in the resurrected Jesus is the one true and living God. Thomas recognizes that because Jesus rose from the dead, that he is the one who is divine. He is God. See, there's, 
there's many religions in the world that will tell you how to get to God. In Christianity, God has come to you. Jesus has come to earth. That there's many religions in the world that will tell you how to get out of the mess of life. But Christianity is the only faith that says that God went under the mess of life. Let the mess of life crush him in death and then rose again from the dead. Only Jesus went under the mess of your life, took it upon himself, and then rose again from the dead to show that he is greater than anything that you are facing. Any problem that is in your past, any trial that is facing you in the future, Jesus has already defeated it because he died and rose again. That's what it means to believe in Jesus as the one true God. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe he's your God? See, Thomas's confession declares the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all of life. And so, Jesus gives to Thomas, well, he gives to us. He speaks to Thomas, but he gives the blessing to us. Jesus is making a promise to every one of us here today who can say the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. See, listen to this with me. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, uh, when we read these words, you, you realize that that in that room, Jesus is speaking to Thomas, but he's thinking about you. Jesus is showing up to Thomas, but you're on his mind, and he, wa- he has a message he wants you to hear. He wants you to know that, that he has a blessing for you, even though you have never seen him the way that Thomas saw him, the way the other disciples saw him. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That that when, when you take the words of Thomas on your own lips and you say, my Lord and my God to Jesus, there is a, a blessing for you that is better than what happened in the room on that night. You know, firsthand experience is incredibly powerful. That when you experience something for yourself, you don't forget it. And, and there's something that, you know, like being on the beach in Cancun is so much better than looking at the postcard of the beach in Cancun, right? But there's something different about Jesus. Jesus says, wait a minute, I've got something better for you. you know, if we were given the opportunity to trade places with any of those early disciples, I'm sure many of us would jump at that chance. 
Because how cool would it have been to have been on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and see Jesus reach into a basket and start breaking out bread and and fish and start handing it out. And in this little basket, food just keeps coming out of it. It's like, where's it all coming from? And then it feeds 5,000 men and women and children. And then you look around and it's like, there's more left over than we started with. How amazing to have been there or to have been out on the boat and there's a storm brewing and the boat's rocking and and the the waves are starting to crash over the boat and you think you're going to die, but then you look out and you're like, what? Is that Jesus? He's walking on the water. Or or to have been at, at the tomb of Lazarus to have been standing next to Jesus and, and you look over and there's, there's tears and they're, they're running down Jesus' cheeks. And you just wonder, wow, maybe this was one too many for Jesus. But then Jesus calls Lazarus' name and, and out of the tomb walks Lazarus and he's alive. Is there really something better than that? There is. There's something better for you today. As I was studying this week, I I actually discovered 14 ways it's better for us today. 14 blessings that we have today for having not seen Jesus. I was driving in this morning. I got another one. I'm at 15. While we're worshiping, I got another one. I'm at 16. I'm not going to share all 16 of them with you. I'm going to share three. But I hope in sharing three that this actually prompts you to want to go digging for yourself to understand that That Jesus being alive matters for you today and that Jesus has something special for you today even though you haven't seen him. See, first of all, we have a more certain understanding of Jesus today. As amazing as it would have been to have been alive back then, we actually have a more certain understanding of Jesus today. Listen with me to the opening of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Listen, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You realize that when you actually read through the Gospels, The people who were on the ground walking around with Jesus, how oftentimes they were confused and didn't get it. How many times we read in the Gospels that they didn't understand what Jesus was doing, why he was doing it. They didn't really understand who Jesus was. That is something that we have today. It's a blessing that we have today. Though we haven't seen Jesus, when we believe him as Savior and Lord we actually have a more certain understanding than those who walked around with him. Secondly, we have God's personal presence and power with us. And I'm actually sneaking in two here. But to not see Jesus, we actually gain something. We gain 
Jesus' personal presence and his power within us. Listen to John 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen carefully. It is to your advantage. It means you're better off. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That to to recognize Jesus as alive, as as Lord, as God, means that, that you receive the Holy Spirit, God's very presence in you, his power in you. Paul says in Ephesians 1, this is the power that brought Jesus back from the dead. The very power that brought Jesus out of the grave is not distant, it's present in you. That's better than seeing him with your eyes. And then third, we have a pure joy that goes beyond words. To not see Jesus, but to believe in him gives us a pure joy that goes beyond words. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This joy that, that Jesus wants to give you it's not, it's not a giddiness. It's not an ecstasy. It's, it's something that, that sinks down deep. It's an anchor of joy that sinks deep into who you are and that, that cannot be crushed. It can't be robbed by, by trials that you face. It can't be, be robbed by, by suffering that you go through. There's no circumstance that can take it away because It's beneath everything else in your life. And it can only be placed there by faith in Jesus Christ. But when it's there, when it's there, it goes beyond words. You, You can talk about it, but you can't describe it fully. The only thing that you can do is, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Because he's the one that gives it. And it's, it's a pure joy. There, there are so many things in this world that will provide some happiness. They, they taste sweet to the tongue, but they go down bitter in the stomach. And you know what? You know I'm not just talking about food. There are so many things that offer happiness but turn sour. There are so many joys that aren't pure, and yet the joy that Jesus gives is full of glory it means that it goes down sweet and becomes even sweeter. It's yours because you haven't seen Jesus. You know, the, this blessing is expressed so beautifully by two different songwriters. I, I just wanted to, to close by being able to let you hear it in their own words. One of these songwriters is, her name is Fanny Crosby. And Fanny Crosby, when, when she was a little girl, she had an eye infection and this, this doctor prescribed this treatment for her eyes and it was, it was uh, actually a toxic treatment and it blinded her. But she came to know Christ and she wrote one of the best love songs uh, in, a, in the American uh, song history. 
blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Or the testimony of Charles Wesley, as he describes his own spiritual encounter with Jesus. And he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. The dungeon opened and flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. May you hear the words of Jesus to Thomas this morning as words to you. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Easter Sunday means Jesus rose for doubters. Jesus rose for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for all who are gathered here who who have bowed their heart, bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord and God. May they know the blessing that Jesus gives to those who believe without seeing. And I pray that if there are any here this morning that have not yet had this life-changing encounter with Jesus, that you would open up the eyes of their heart, that they would hear the news and say, Ah, I see. And may they too be included in this blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.